Hey, Drew Crew. This is Drew. Another episode of Drew versus the World, a podcast where you get inspiration through information. Today on the podcast, I have a wonderful guest, the storyteller himself, and it's not just storytelling in the in writing books or oh yeah, he does have a book. He has comic books. He tells stories through magic. He tells stories through um, a podcast called Back of the Cereal Box. He also tells story uh, stories in Tennessee in his haunted ghost tours. Um, today, we're going to learn a little bit more about him outside of the um, the usual realm of geekiness and nerdness that we are accustomed to. So I would like to welcome to the podcast, the wonderful, the infamous, the incredible John Pica. How are you doing today, Johnny? Hey there, friends and foes. I am doing great, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Like I was telling you off air, I have a little, if I sound like a little baritone, I had a little uh, coldy-woldy this, this morning. So I had to, I, I went with an old Caribbean recipe of ginger. So I soaked some ginger in some hot water, boiled it, made a nice little like tea. And then I put like two lemons in there and some honey. And just been drinking that for the last two things. So... Feeling a little bit better, but the the voice hasn't changed. So, you know, I've been dealing with a sinus infection, mostly ear infection, for the last Mm. three days. And when I get an ear infection, it drains down into my throat and gives me a sore throat. So, I'm right there with you. I'm doing the, I'm I'm slamming down the VC and the. Mm Ricolas. Ricola. Ricola. Yeah, I was there with you. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what's a good commercial that I haven't even thought about in a long time? The old school, like, Klondike bar commercials. What would, what you, do would you do for a for Klondike, Klondike bar? bar? They're still on. Yeah, I haven't seen... I, well, I guess I haven't seen a commercial in so long because either I'm, I have the ability to skip through them or I just binge watch stuff nowadays, so... Yeah, yeah. But we're we're going to get into it a little bit more. So as I said, John Pica, um, you started a podcast, another podcast called Back of the Serial Box, which I happen to be on once in a while. And you have such incredible, incredible guests, have such incredible theme, and you bring the rec room of Saturday mornings of your youth into the house of millions of people. Now you, you came from an age that. You really got your your geekdom or your nerdum through the back of the cereal box. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to recreate that space and that energy. Can you tell me a little bit about your progression of speaking and storytelling? Yeah, so um, I I started acting in musicals and plays when I was very young, um, eight years old. And um, I would produce my own shows, my own variety shows, kind of like um, the Little Rascals, Our Gang Follies. If you remember the Little Rascal shorts, they would produce these shows in the back of the yard and a nickel show or whatever. And, and I did that. And I would sing, I would dance, I would you know, do characters. And they were probably horrible. But um, uh, when I was eight, I saw a magician perform at a shopping mall. And uh, I was like, "Ooh, I want to learn how to do that. So I saved up uh, money by selling greeting cards from a Captain Olympic greeting card ad from the back of a comic book. It had Captain O 
you know, flying out of the win prizes mm-hmm. and cash. And one of the prizes was a magic kit. So I got it and uh, started adding magic to those backyard shows. And that just kind of set my path. And, and you know, I just continued doing that. And when I was a senior in high school, I guess a junior in high school going into my senior year, I produced a show in a local theater aptly called The Magic Show. It was a fundraiser. <laughs> And we sold tickets for five bucks each. Uh, I rented the theater for 50 bucks because I was a student there. And we sold 650 tickets. Wow. And that was a religious experience for me. And that's really been my path all along. But, you know, what really got me into doing plays and music to begin with was 1977. I'm in the movie theater watching this movie I'd never heard of before called Star Wars. And when Darth Vader came through that door, I pointed at the screen and said, I want to do that. And I didn't know what that was necessarily, but that kind of informed my career choices from that day forward. And, um, you know, everything I love, everything I do in my shows has that kind of retro sci-fi geek culture experience informed by star Wars movies and Avengers comic books. So you have this alter ego. I think it's, is it big daddy? Cool is his name. Yeah. He, he died in October of 2020. RIP of COVID. Oh, sorry about that. So how did he come to um, be a part of your magic act or your stage performances? Yeah. So, um, As I got out of college, I had been looking for a way to combine music and magic and uh, theater in a cohesive show. Um, And that was really like my quest all throughout college, you know, because I was I was singing and dancing in theme parks and cruise ships. I was, you know, playing characters in Broadway musicals and um, touring musicals. and and I was doing my own magic shows mm-hmm. for uh, corporate events and private parties and whatnot. But I was always looking for a way to fuse them. And I, uh, I had this real love for swing music, 1940s music. My, my two loves are progressive rock. The, the band mm-hmm. Yes is my all-time favorite band. Oh, wow. And uh, 1940s jazz and big band music. And those are my like two hardcore loves. And I was um I had just, you know, gotten turned on to The Mask, The Rocketeer, yep. Dick mm-hmm. Tracy. And those were really inspiring to me with the whole revival of the swing music movement of the nineties. And you know, one night I, I was just I don't know where I was reading it. I must have been researching it online. I saw a playbill for the Brown Derby Supper Club, and they had a musical act, a headliner. They had the band playing dance music, and and they would have what they call seed dancers, sometimes Mm. a dance act. And then they would have a magician in the halftime, like the the intermission show or, or halfway through. And, um, that kind of clicked. I was like, oh, wow, 
what if I just create a show around that floor show format and I can play those parts? I can be the character. And, uh, you know, I drew from my love of 1940s culture and music, from my love of comic books, and from my own childhood growing up the son of a teamster. And not just any teamster. Uh, my dad was the um, secretary of business affairs He's under Jimmy Hoffa. Doing so I, I grew up with all of these kind of Chicago tough guys. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Mickey, Mickey the Fish, um, Paxos the Mechanic, um, guy, guys like, you know, with nicknames like $2 Deuce and, you know, C-Note Charlie. And those became characters in my show. Those, those kind of influenced the development of Big Daddy Cool. And he was a he was a swinging hepcat ex Chicago gangster turned entertainer that would lay down a smoking groove so cool it'll make you flip your lid. Can you dig that? I knew that you could. <laughs> and swinging at the Roxy was born. I hired dancers. I picked out the music. We arranged the music, and we toured from 2000 until 2010, oh, wow. and sold out. 80% of the theaters that we were in. And then from 2010 until 2020, um, we, we scaled it down and, and swinging at the Roxy became more of a uh, circus and burlesque review. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Attend to the real Chicago. Um, the, <laughs> so you've had such great success in your art endeavors and, you know, coming, being in the town of Tennessee, where there are so many different acts and so many different people that are talented, how do you let your foam rise to the top? What is your secret sauce that allows you to sell out these shows and continue like such a illustrious career over what, 15, 20 years? Well, here in Nashville, 27 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not exclusive to Nashville. Um, mm -hmm. most of the big stuff that I do are, is outside of town, mm -hmm. uh, on the road in theaters around the country, what we call the tall grass. Um, okay. now that kind of came to a halt in, uh, 2020 with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the COVID pandemic. And now, uh, we're looking at getting back out on the road here in 2022 with uh, some new projects. But, um, you know, the, the key thing is I was a unicorn. Not only was I, and I, I don't say this braggadociously, I, I was a triple threat, an actor, singer, and dancer who was also a champion magician. So maybe a, and, and you know, with a penchant for storytellers. And so I am unique to everybody else in Nashville. There is nobody else, not just in Nashville, but not in the Southeast, maybe not in the entire country that does exactly what I do. And so that allows me to set myself apart. So when you was, so we talked a little bit about you kind of building this empire of your 
acting in your um, stage shows. But let's go back a little bit into kind of the geekdom and the growing of your <clears throat> your understanding of comic books. I have to know what was the first comic you got, if you can remember, and then what was the first experience you had that really drove you into reading comic books, collecting, and pop culture. So. The first comic book that I remember owning was given to me, and it was Iron Man issue 100. And for those of you who are into comic books, you know the issue I'm talking about. Uh, Iron Man's on the cover, and he's splitting this steel beam in half. Mm -hmm. Iconic cover, and he fought the Mandarin Mm -hmm. in that issue. Um, After that, uh, I was gifted a lot of... Justice League, a lot of DC, Batman and Superman, World's Finest, but it was Avengers issue 222 that hooked me. You know, I I was into comic books before then, and I had Mm. a small collection, but Avengers 222 was the first comic that I bought with my own money. Oh, wow. And it, it... sucked me in hard and I became a hardcore Avengers comics fan and I went back you know getting issues month by month Mm -hmm. I would start going to the local comic shop and buying back issues and I have every Avengers comic printed from issue 54 through today issue 273 Um, if anybody out there that doesn't understand, no, no, did that, I say two hundred seventy three? I'm at seven hundred and fifty two. Jesus, for people that understand the, the, the even two hundred seventy three, the breadth of like the longevity of that collection is vast. Different and, and people it's taking not up just, the story and the mantle of the different characters and everything. Yeah, and it's not just the Avengers; it's all of the Avengers. Uh, adjacent books too like west coast mm-hmm. avengers yep. avengers spotlight secret avengers um and and there was a while where there was four avengers books out at one time and i i i have them all i've i've read them all so what even got you start in, start to read comics in general was it just your friend gave you the iron man and you was like oh okay or did you always have like a cuz i can understand for you being a storyteller you probably read a lot but what took you from the normal black and white print to going to graphic novels and comic books? Well, I mean, I was always into comics. I was always into Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's what my podcast is about. You know, sitting at that breakfast table, eating my Captain Crunch or Tricks or Fruit Loops or whatever it was, watching some of my favorite cartoons and all of my favorite cartoons were action-adventure, superhero, character-based. The first cartoon I ever remember falling in love with was a very obscure cartoon called The Adventures Adventures of Waldo Kitty. Or maybe it was The Life and Times of Waldo Kitty. And Mm -hmm. he was this house cat that when there were things in the neighborhood, you know, peril people in danger or other pets in danger, he would take on a persona that was analogous to like Captain Kirk or Batman or the Lone Ranger Mm -hmm. or Robin Hood. 
and he would become those characters. And it was inspired by the book, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Ah. So, yeah. And, and I just, I loved it. Every week it was something different. And um, the same year, um, Filmation did a Star Trek animated series on Saturday mornings and a uh, Planet of the Apes. And those three cartoons were back to back. And I, man, that was like awesome. And, and we're, we're about to do a thing. This will interest you, Drew. We're about to uh, do a new th- segment on Back of the Cereal Box where I'm going to be sending links to YouTube videos to those classic cartoons to all of the hosts and co-hosts <laughs> to watch that three to five minute maybe 10 minute tops clip during the week. And then we'll talk about our thoughts about it. You know, does it hold up? What did you think about it as a kid? Would you have watched this? Did you, you know, and Debarty has kids, so she'll watch it with her kids. And, you know, what did your kids think about it? You know, did they like it? Do they want to see more? And we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, as we lean into that back of the cereal box, Saturday morning experience, even deeper. And we was discussing, I think, maybe two weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, and I brought up the Hong Kong fooey. Um, one of the Hong crazy- Kong fooey, <laughs> number one super guy. One of the craziest shows that I'm pretty sure would not be able to be made nowadays. No. From a lot of different reasons. <laughs> a lot of different reasons. And then, oh, here's another one that, a lot of people don't remember, but you probably remember. Remember the Harlem Globetrotters? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that was one of my favorite shows coming up, and nobody knew about it. <laughs> well, no. When, when, when I was a kid, Harlem Globetrotters was super popular, and that cartoon series was a must-watch every Saturday yes. morning. But what was even better than the Harlem Globetrotters was when they made a transition and became... The Super Globe Trotters. That's what I'm saying. The Super Globe Trotters. The one when they had okay. one, that one that turned to slinks, and then he could like stretch his body out. And I think one and was one a of ball. the guys pulled weapons out or stuff out yeah. of his hair. And uh, yeah, I don't then think did, a, did Curly have any superpowers or was just he funny? I I forget. I I'll think th- they. We'll, yeah, they did, and I remember they did a collaboration with Scooby Doo. And here's yes. a hot here's a hot take, everybody. Okay. I hate I hate Scooby Doo, like I hate Scooby Doo. Okay. And it's not like I don't so, say I hate a lot of things. Scooby Doo is like unwatchable for me. For, but I do like a pup named Scooby Doo. I don't know why, but I do like wait, a pup what? named Scooby Doo. I love a pup what? named Scooby Doo. Drew, what? <laughs> Who are you, and what have you done with my friend? <laughs> no. So, okay, I've I've got a confession to make. I was never a Scooby-Doo fan either, except after school, they would show the Scooby-Doo movies. I think it came on like three o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. Right when I got home, it was on. And that was a series where they would have a guest star every week. Mm-hmm. And um, the most famous of the Scooby-Doo movies was Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. Mm. And it was a two-parter. And I want to say they actually ended up doing either three or four episodes total during that, that run. And it inspired a comic book series that's out now 
the Scooby-Doo Batman mysteries, um, mm. which is a lot of fun. But um, I loved that they would have these guest stars mm-hmm. every week. And, you know, they had uh, Maxwell Smart. Yeah, it was Don Adams, but he was playing, you know, Agent Smart and what, mm-hmm. what, whatever his name was. <laughs> and uh, uh, they would have Jerry Reed and uh, they would have, uh, you know, Phyllis Diller. And, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, these were the superstars of the day. And uh, to have them appearing as celebrities on the Scooby-Doo movies was it was a treat because uh, you couldn't wait to see who was going to be on next. It's kind of like the same part of the same appeal with the uh, Muppet Show. Yes. You know? Oh, who's yes. the guests are going to be this week? Oh, yep. I can't wait to find out. And um, so I was a fan of that show, but I was never a fan of Scooby Doo until yeah. until I got married. My wife was obsessed with Scooby Doo, and so when they started making the new episodes with um, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Mm -hmm. Last night, we just watched Scooby-Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog. And I I have become appreciative of Scooby-Doo and the gang. There is one series that I highly recommend. It's called Mystery Inc. And Mystery Inc. is like the Hanna-Barbera multiverse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun, especially it's when cool. Blue Falcon appeared and Chase from, uh, is it uh, Chase from uh, Johnny Quest? Johnny Quest. It, yeah. it, it, the Hanna-Barbera, uh, I think, multiverse original was uh, Wacky Races, wasn't it? That was like the, the original like um, collaboration. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, and then um, after the, then, then you had the Laugh Olympics, mm-hmm. and then there was a show called, oh golly, I I can't, re- but it was Yogi Bear's Ark, and it was basically this ark that flew with with balloons through the air, and all of those Hanna Barbera characters were on the ark, and I can't, I need to track that down and find it yeah. because I I loved all of that. But moving away from the first thing I love about you, Johnny, is that we could get into these conversations like this. And I, I'm I'm <laughs> we could go forever. So I have I have to stop. Deep. We could dive <laughs> deep if you let me. But it, another thing I appreciate about you and what you've done is that me growing up as being not thinking about myself as a creative. Right. Not thinking about myself as somebody that would be. Uh, accepted for what I liked as far as cont- cartoons, movies, comic books, uh, at some point anime, all these things that I kind of enjoyed was always on the outskirts, right? It was always something I kind of hid in, kept it to myself. Not anymore. Exactly. And now Geeks it's- have inherited the earth. Exactly. To the point where I, I, I was like, I, if I was a little bit younger, I would tell myself- to, hey, dive deep into this because when you're 21, 21, 22, a couple movies are going to come out and now you guys are ruling the world. And or there are going to be some geniuses that create these companies that then take over the world that are owned by geeks who love the stuff you love. So I really enjoy what you're doing as far as bringing 
that to the front center stage to people so they can enjoy it and then look back on their love of what they have and just feel like a kid again, you know, and get outside of the politics and the day-to-day shuffle and the kids. And, you know, I wake up on Saturdays and I'm like, okay, let's see what Johnny's going to do. Nine o'clock, I'm going to, because, you know, it's Eastern Standard Time here. Nine o'clock, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit my iPhone, might be having um, breakfast with the kids. Um, the fiance, she doesn't like it, so she goes off and does her target runs, and then <laughs> I'm good to go. I'm good to go. But let's dive a little bit more into the past. Where are you originally from? Akron, Ohio. Actually, a little town called North Canton, which is between Canton, where the Pro Football mm-hmm. Hall of Fame is, yep, and Akron, which is the rubber capital of the world. Um, I grew up in North Canton. In, I mean dead center between those two cities so you don't think that people would people care more about the rubber capital world instead of uh, lebron james one of the greatest basketball players of all time coming from there well <laughs> you know there were a lot of celebrities from akron um glenn fry michael keaton um, Keaton's from okay now you have my attention <laughs> michael keaton is one um, one of my favorite. Who else? Devo. Um, Mike Tyson lived there for a long, long, long time. No, we claim him in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> but I, so <laughs> growing up in Ohio, um, I, you say it a little bit about your dad and about um, him working for the Teamsters under Jimmy Hoffa. We have talked, you've brought him up at sometimes during our clubhouse mixers and things like that. So can you tell me a little bit about growing up in Akron, Ohio and your dad and what he's done and what the things you've learned about him even right before he passed? Yeah. So my dad passed away uh, a year ago uh, this next month. And uh, hard to believe it's been that long, actually. Um, Wow. And, you know... My dad was an interesting character. He, um, he didn't graduate from high school, but he did earn a college degree. Uh, he conned his way into uh, a design college and got an a oh, associate's okay. degree as a commercial artist and architect. Um, and he worked in the advertising department for Goodyear for a little while until he couldn't take working for somebody else anymore. Um, and this is all before I came along. You know, he was he was a con man. He was a he specialized in short cons. Um, he got into this when he was, you know, 16 years old and he traveled the country hustling pool, doing the three shell game, um, you know, three card Monty. And after. After some time, he retired from that and became you know, a teamster, uh, you know, got the degree. He couldn't do the whole corporate thing. He became a truck driver, became a teamster, rose up the ranks. And, um, you know, somewhere along the line in 1970, I came along. And um, by that time, my dad was the secretary of business affairs for the teamsters. Mm-hmm. And um, he had he had retired shortly after I was born because he had spent some time before my, before he married my mother with my older brother um, 
on the run for three years, living in a van, hiding out from the FBI. Now, I didn't learn this until maybe 10 years ago. And my older brother told me this is what had happened. My, and, and then I found out maybe three years ago what prompted it. My dad, as a, as a rabble rouser for the Teamsters, tried to blow up a plane at the Akron-Canton airport. And it failed, and he was on the run for three years. I don't know how that was resolved, but he meets my mom, gets married. They have me. He retires from that life. But he still could never resist the allure of a fresh mark, a fresh con. Mm. So for me and my brother growing up, that was us. And to get us to do chores, he would do little cons and stunts around the house. Little tricks. He would never call them tricks. It was always a game of chance. But he would do these to get us to do chores. And I never got rich playing these games, but my dad <laughs> did have one of the most beautifully manicured lawns in the state of Ohio. <laughs> and and that is what really initially got me started in in some sleight of hand was my dad's con tricks but then when i saw it performed by a magician on stage and saw the potential i was like whoa i need to do that but you know he went legit still worked as a truck driver and then when i was in the fourth or fifth grade he had a very severe injury on the docks mm -hmm. and injured his back to the point that he couldn't work anymore went on disability for two years and during that two-year period got involved in Amway oh, wow. and built an empire. They became uh, what's called, in the Amway uh, hierarchy, they became diamonds, which oh, wow. at that time was the highest level. Now you can go up to um, uh, platinum and crown, but mm. back then that was the, the top, top level. And so from sixth grade on, Mm -hmm. until age 25, when my mom died. We lived a life unlike anybody else I knew. We, really? we traveled to Venice, a one, one, you know, a 24-hour trip from uh, Akron, Ohio, to Venice, Italy, to buy my mom a new fur coat, because that was the only place that that designer had it, and that's the only way, way you could get it. So wow. we flew. Picked up the coat, had lunch, flew back. That was the trip to get a coat. And that, that was the kind of lifestyle I had until my mom died. And then after my mom died of cancer, um, my dad kind of lost desire to do any of that stuff anymore. He had made millions. He just decided, I'm just going to travel and, you know, just enjoy my life. And he did. And, and he, he basically, spent through the fortune oh wow spending it on travel and women and um but in that order yeah but he um you know as he got older and as those members of jimmy hoffa's inner circle started dying off he became 
more open with the stories of his time with the Teamsters. And during can you, can the last... Can you, explain a, can you explain a little bit about, about the Teamsters to some people that may not understand or know about them? Yeah, so the Teamsters were a labor union that was um, organized for truck drivers in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it now includes, you know, other industries, but, um, you know, truck drivers. And yes. um, Al Capone was a rabble rouser for the Teamsters. That's how he rose to prominence in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the 60s, in the late 50s, early 60s, there was a guy named Jimmy Hoffa. And Jimmy Hoffa rose to power and became the president of the Teamsters. And basically, it was organized crime. It was an organized, it was a labor union, but they were criminal. It was an organized crime organization. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was part of them. And Secretary of Business Affairs meant that he was the guy who lit the fires and mm-hmm. busted the kneecaps and, you know, supplied uh, strike strike breakers with weapons and, you know, you know, not nothing to be proud of, but, yeah, you know, and I, I didn't, I wouldn't learn about this until uh, about four years ago um, wow. that that was his actual title. I knew that he was a secretary in the Teamsters in the national organization, but I didn't understand how literally he involved. He was in the day-to-day operations and the anyway. Um, so a couple of years, about 10 years ago, I visit the uh, Dallas book depository hmm. museum. And for those who don't know, this is a museum that was set up around the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Hmm. And when you go through the museum, there's a seg- section, you know, who killed Kennedy where, you know, it, they post, they have different things in the, the museum about theories of who was behind the assassination and the conspiracy. And one of the theories was that the Teamsters led by uh. Jimmy Hoffa and Ron Fitzsimmons was behind the assassination. So I came home that next Thanksgiving and I just asked my dad, hey, hey, dad, who killed Kennedy? <laughs> and his only response was. I'm not going to talk about it. A few years later, a friend of mine who was a former um, security guy at uh, security uh, consultant for Las Vegas casinos, who, by the way, had known my dad because my dad can count cards. If you know anything Mm. about card counting and he has been he had been banned from several casinos in the country. So this friend of mine, I became friends of him through the insurance industry of all places. <laughs> he, he knew the name. He knew who my dad was. And he came over for another event. And my dad was there. And using some of his interrogation techniques, he gets my dad to admit that the Teamsters were behind the hit on President oh. Kennedy. So that began a campaign for me to 
pull information out of my dad. And over the years, he would, you know, sprinkles, he would own up to a yeah. few. Yeah, mm-hmm. he sprinkles here and there. But during the last two weeks of his life, he knew he was at the end. All of the buddies he ran with were dead. There was nothing that was really holding him back from spilling the beans. He gave me the names of the four shooters in Dallas. He gave me the names of the guy who hired them. He gave me the name of the guy who uh, sent uh, Jack Ruby to kill Oswald. All of it. And uh, I'm not going to spill it here on this podcast. You'll have no, to wait no. for the book to come out. I, I'm, I, and when that book comes out, I'm just going to be like, here's the episode he told us about it. <laughs> That's the... Uh... Yeah, I have to figure out how I'm going to write it because there's so much. There's so much mm-hmm. um, in that. And um, yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack the code on the Kennedy assassination. So you talked a, little, a lot about your dad. So... Your family structure consists of your dad and your mom. Um, so what and your and your older brother. So how does is your older brother kind of in the same vein as yourself, where he is very into comic books and into no. pop culture and stuff like that? Is he like no, that? I have to, two is he like okay, okay? I have an older brother, Dwayne, who is thirteen years older, had a different mother, uh, my mm-hmm. dad's first wife. Um, he is he's a tradesman. He was a, he was an athlete like my dad. My dad was also an athlete, um, and uh, Dwayne became a pro bowler. Bowler. Uh, he was on that circuit. You know, oh, back shit. in the days, okay. they would show you know bowling on ESPN or oh or, yeah, well ABC, NBC, Saturday afternoons. Anyway, he was like one of ESPN those guys. three or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he uh before he'd gotten into bowling professionally, he had always done it as a kid. Um, he served in the Navy and was a Navy SEAL. Oh, wow. So, but he was 13 years older than me, so I didn't really grow up with my older brother. He was there until I was about five years old, and then he went into the Navy and didn't come back until I was 21, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I would talk to him on the phone, but that was about it. Uh, and then I have a younger brother uh, who's two years younger than me, who was also an athlete, um, really great athlete, um, baseball, football. And um, he became he could have been uh, a a skateboarding superstar. He got to hang out back in the early days. He was um, a part of uh, the Bones Brigade. Oh, wow. With Tony Hawk and yeah. some of those guys. And Hoffman, my brother okay. was offered a sponsorship, a competition sponsorship by L.A. Gear. And he turned it down because he said, I don't want to be repping any bleep brand. And that was the dumbest decision he ever made. He, he could have been part of that whole X Games revolution. He would have been up there with Tony Hawk and Sean White and those guys. But anyway. Wow. 
Wow. Um, so how about your mom? Was she very supportive? Was she very supportive in your endeavors and the things that yeah. you were doing? As And then yeah. also, she probably knew so much about your dad's, or did she not know about your dad's past and all the work he's done? Or was she kind of like taking a blind eye to it? I don't know that answer. Mm. Um, you know, my mom died when I was 25. She mm. was only 56 years old. Oh, wow. But she was my biggest fan. She was, um, she in her youth had been a beauty pageant queen and a uh, professional pinup model. Okay. There's, um, there's some uh, published paintings of her, you know, that artists did. Um, and, um, you know, she was into music and uh, art and fine food and travel. And that's really where I get all of that from and get that yeah. influence from. And she was my biggest fan. She always encouraged me to sing and to draw and to act. And um, so, yeah, that, that's uh, and my, my dad was a great artist as well. I mean, he was. He was, a, a you know, had been an athlete. He uh, had been a con man, a teamster, a salesman. But, you know, he he would always draw. And he was part of the graphic design team for Goodyear for some time. And so that's kind of where I get my music and acting talent from my mom and, and my art talent from my dad. That's uh, that's that's always interesting to see. It's usually either everybody in the family has own personal skills and then it kind of like trickles down or is like everybody's like a carpet salesman and the one person wants to be like an artist and they're free flowing. They're like, get a job, hippie. So I'm glad, I'm glad you had encouragement. And then, and then you also have people in your line of sight that actually did something that's comparable to what you were doing as well. Cause well, you yeah, literally, you know, you, you, my, uh, my, my dad, both my parents were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, my dad was a truck driver, but you know, if anyone knows anything about truck driving, you're you're a subcontractor. You're your yep. own independent. You're basically you, you work for yourself, and you take contracts with different different uh, carriers and whatnot. And then you know, after he was injured, you know, they got into the Amway business, and growing up, they worked for themselves, and that was that was the model that I was always given. And, uh, you know, whereas, uh, my younger brother, he owns his own business. He, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and he went into his own thing. My older brother, Dwayne, he owns a, uh, flooring company. He's his own boss. And so that's just always been our lifestyle. And so I just turned it instead of doing sales or manual labor or whatnot, I turned it into a creative business. Mm-hmm. And so I work for myself as a creative. And so, so as long as we weren't, you know, selling out to a job, mm-hmm. my parents were all about it. And I remember, Drew, the first time I made serious money, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, I make, I make six figures telling ghost stories and doing card tricks. And it's true. But the first time I made serious money, I was 15 years old, and I was hired to do close-up magic, strolling the the festival grounds for the Pro Football Hall of Fame Ribs Burnoff. Wow. The Ribs, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Festival, the Ribs Festival. Mm -hmm. 
And I got paid for three days, $1,500 a day. Wow. How old were you? 15. Wow. That was 1985. And that was a lot of money. And my dad was like, you don't need to be doing anything else, son. <laughs> so but, what- but then, you know, I got, I got discouraged with the whole uh, audition circle. You know, you go to the, uh, these auditions, you put out uh, your best, and you sit around okay. and you wait for people to call you and give you a job. I thought that was for the birds. So mm-hmm. when I produced that show as a uh, junior in high school, and sold 650 tickets at $5 each. Someone mm-hmm. do the math on that. I don't know. I don't even remember how much that was. But I was like, whoa, I can do this on my own? I don't have mm-hmm. to wait for someone to give me a gig? Now, I'll take jobs when they call me, but I don't go to auditions. I haven't been to an audition, Drew, in 15 years. Wow. And I'm working constantly in theater because uh, directors call me. Um, theater companies call me. I'm, I'm producing four shows for a theater company this year. And they called me. They said, hey, we want you to come and produce some original work. Well, you're in luck. I have some <laughs> things in mind that I want to get out into the world. So, you know, as long as I was doing something entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. it didn't matter what it was. So, so being a lifetime, lifetime entrepreneur is difficult, but being a lifetime creative entrepreneur is probably even more difficult because it's kind of like, usually your entrepreneur is like the business connected to himself, but now your mind, your creativity is connected to your business as well. Can you give people or can you give some how do's or do's and don'ts of the business aspect of being a creative entrepreneur? Yeah. Um save. Mm. Don't spend everything you make. Uh reinvest into your business. Um reinvest at least a third back into the business. And here's here's how I do it. I pay myself a third, I reinvest a third, and I save a third mm. of everything I earn. Um make sure you pay your taxes on time. Make sure you are doing your taxes the right way. Um, and it, look, it's not difficult. It just, you know, it's time consuming. I've got mm-hmm. to do annual taxes this year. If you can, do quarterly taxes. Mm. I, um, I've, I made that mistake early on. I've always, I've just gotten in the habit of doing annual but if you can do quarterly do quarterly that will save you a lot of time and effort um but this is the main thing don't cut corners don't take Mm. shortcuts and the number one piece of advice that i would i would give is do not go into debt i do everything that i've ever done in my life in my business has been debt-free. Cash. If I don't have the cash to do something, I don't do it. I wait. Um, I wait until I have it. And, uh, you know, I follow the laws. I follow the regulations. I'm not breaking 
tax law. I'm not breaking copyright law. I'm making sure all my P's and Q's are lined up and I pay cash for everything. And if you do that, you will be profitable. And that's, that's very important. I like the quarterly part too, because you get to pay taxes up front instead of having to pay them in a lump sum annually if you have to. Um, so what is, who or who is your biggest influence other than it, it like, it seems that your dad with the, the con tricks, he was, he got you to magic. Who would you say is your biggest influence or inspiration? Jim Henson. Mm, why Jim Henson? R.I.P. Um, everything I know about producing a show and doing a show, mm. I learned from watching The Muppet Show. And, yes. and watching... And look, Jim Henson did something that nobody before or since has been able to do. And that was he created must-see TV every Sunday night that appealed to ages from 2 to 92. Mm-hmm. And it brought families together in a way that has never been replicated. Um, and he, he created life. Listen, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy are as real as you and I. And that is a feat of magic. And when people ask me who my favorite magician is, I tell them, Jim Henson. What he did was pure magic. So he was a huge influence. Um, from a character standpoint, um, and from an artistic standpoint, um, Michael Jackson was a huge influence. And a lot of people are surprised by that until they see me perform as Big Daddy Cool, and they will see this mashup of Michael Jackson, um, Orson Welles, and Randy Macho Man Savage. I know it. So- it sounds bizarre. It's but like that's the, really where my influences were drawn so for that Johnny, character. And Johnny, then my are you own doing? Life. Are you doing a moonwalk? Are you doing a moonwalk? Are, no, are you, can you, no. Oh, but okay, I do. Okay. I do do this thing where say, you know the you know the Michael Jackson pose where his feet are together and he's kind of mm-hmm. stomping one foot and his mm-hmm. hands are raised out. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's that's a standard pose with Big Daddy Cool and just. The, the way that he, you know, embodied that character 24-7, he, in, in wrestling, they call it uh, K-Fob. Yep. You know, he <laughs> was that person that you see on screen all the time. Yep. He was truly authentic. And I, I really have sought to be that in my own career. And, you know, uh, Orson Welles was the same way. Uh, Randy Savage was the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hulk Hogan was the same way. I, you know, I think I've told you this. You know, after my dad uh, retired from the Teamsters, got into Amway, he became friends with Cowboy Baba Orton, Randy Orton's father. One and every time they were, time. <laughs> what's that? Oh, Randy Orton is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's a little bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I knew Randy when he was knee-high to a grasshopper because <laughs> uh, I wasn't much older. But every time they came to Cleveland, to the Richfield Coliseum, we were there with backstage passes. And so I got to meet Savage and Hogan one night 
uh, it was during one of their first feuds. Uh, Savage had uh, just dropped the IC title to uh, Ricky Steamboat, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he and Hogan were in their one of their first feuds, and uh, they're backstage in the locker room, sitting over a script with Miss Elizabeth. And they're going through the script and they're going through the moves and they're going through the lines that they're going to say. The rest of the guys are just kind of milling over here. And Mm. I will tell you that that match that night was the most memorable match. And, you know, Savage, they they were the the good guy that that Hogan is on screen. He he's that way in real life. And Savage. He, he he amplifies the character on screen, but that's who he was. You know, he was intense. Yeah. Oh, man, it's good to meet you, little guy. <laughs> I'm going to come down here. I'm going to give you a little high five. Okay. Brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, and then it has, no, I'm not, I was like, the juice must have just been like running through everybody's veins there. So I just could only imagine. But, um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's again. I'm, I'm, I'm. Every time you tell me stories, I'm totally in awe of all you've there, went through. There and was all this the one night, done. and you've heard this story. Um, there was this one night, and you probably didn't hear it from me, but <clears throat> after the show, uh, they they all went out to a nearby bar, mm-hmm. and um, Andre the Giant is there. And I was in Richfield. I wasn't at the bar, but I was at the show that night. I, mm-hmm. I was backstage that night. So uh, I was just a kid, so I couldn't be at the bar. But Andre the Giant, he had downed. He yeah. had already drank five pitchers. And this guy challenges him. Says, oh, wrestling's fake, yada, yada, yada. And Andre picks him up with one hand and drops him. And the guy slugs him in the face. And, you know, they get into this little tussle. and. It's obvious that Andre is going to destroy this guy and he runs out and he's yelling all these you know, curse words and just cussing him out. And Andre follows him because Andre had a temper. Mm. Now he's pissed off and Andre follows him. The guy gets in his car and he locks the doors. and He's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. and Andre the giant mm-hmm. picks up the car and turns it over. No joke. Yeah, yeah. I, the the story is. Have you ever heard about the story? He was like drinking like six cases of beer at once in one sitting, and then he and then he went out to do a match, and he was just normal as can be. He was like, "Yeah, yeah. that's my starter. That's my starter pack." What that's that's one of the ones uh, I wish I would have had a chance to interview him or like just talk to him or sit down with him and just he's probably like the night you know how there there's always like that they're huge people but they're sweetest people that he was he was a giant teddy bear (laughs) you just be like he if you've ever seen uh, Young Rock they 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 get him perfect on that show okay okay. Yeah, always, always interested in those huge because I, I used to go to a lot to like these powerlifting competitions and things like that. Definitely up in uh, used to have the oh 
the Arnold Classic in Columbus. So during that week, all the body lifters used to come, and I was big into training back then. So I used to go there. Nicest guys in the world. They'd be gigantic. They'd be like six, seven, seven hundred pounds of muscle. Like, hey man, what's up? How you doing? I'd be like, okay. I thought you would be a little bit more angry, but <laughs> but um, yeah. All in all, man, I always love to have this conversation with you. But going back into interview mode, going back in interview mode. So 2020, you said that was a death of Big Daddy Cool. And yeah. and from my recollections, that is the time that you ex- experienced COVID and you, and you right. got it. So what changed for you at that time? And what continue, what's your path forward from that? Well, so 2020 was the 20 year anniversary of that character. Oh, I'd wow. launched him in 2000. So I get COVID in October, and I just finished um, planning a uh, series of performances as that character. Mm. Um, and, and I was getting ready to do a, new, a whole new thing uh, with Big Daddy Cool, and um, I get COVID. And 15 days in bed, you know, I came pretty close to dying. But then two weeks after I was cleared to go back to work, I ended up in the hospital with blood clots in my lungs. And, you know, I'm by myself in the hospital. And and the doctor told me if I had delayed one day, I would have, I would not have survived. And so I'm by myself in the hospital. And I, I come to this realization that I had spent my entire life entertaining complete strangers at the expense of relationships with friends and family. Because I'm all by myself. Nobody's coming to see me. I'm, I, I got a couple of texts, but I didn't get any phone calls. I wasn't getting any, you know, email messages. Hey, haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? None of that. And so... I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to reprioritize my life. And I'm not, I'm going to leave that, the past, that character behind. I'm going to focus on writing. I'm going to focus on artwork. And uh, I didn't even plan to, to get back into podcasting. I was going to leave uh, the last podcast, the Diesel Punk podcast, and just kind of let it run its course. But, uh, you know, in, over the course of recovering, um, you know, I was like, I, I still need a creative outlet. I still need to perform in some way. What can I do that kind of combines all of the aspects of my past career together, but isn't political? Um, you know, I was very active politically, and mm-hmm. I just I decided I don't care anymore. I'm not going to be a part of that. Um, and uh, you know, I was talking with my a friend of mine. I was like. You know, wouldn't it be cool if I could just get all my friends together in a virtual rec room on a Saturday morning and talk about comics and toys and cartoons and, you know, eat breakfast cereal? And he was like, well, that's a show right there. <laughs> and and he's the one who named it back of the cereal box. Oh, um, wow. I have to give credit where credit's due. That was Jason Swank, who does Rebel Force Radio, which is one of the biggest podcasts on on the web um 
50,000 downloads a day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Jeez Louise. So that's, so I, I want to know, this is the last question I usually ask before I go into shots fired. And this is my favorite question is what do you, what are you doing or what do you want to do to change the world? So there's a story behind this answer. I, I have to tell this story, otherwise it doesn't make sense. When I was in college, I was performing in the Eastern Kentucky University Show Choir. And we would tour around the region. And one night we were performing in Hazard, Kentucky, at Hazard High School. And I had a solo that I would sing every night. Um, Do you remember when we used to sing? Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la. My brown-eyed girl. And uh, every night, I would go out into the audience, and I would find a, a girl, a woman in the audience, and sing to her, and kneel down to her, hold her hand, the whole schlocky thing. Well, this one night at Hazard High School, we're in the gymnasium, and there's this girl sitting in front of the bleachers in a wheelchair. And she looked, you know, 11, 12 years old. And I went down, and I kneeled down to her, took her hand, and sang to her, uh, you, my brown-eyed girl, and I, uh, I, I, you know, give her a wink and squeeze her hand as I start to go back up on stage, and um, she she grabs hold of my hand and pulls me back to her, and she says, "I love you." And I was like, "Oh, that's really sweet." But that happens all the time when you're on stage in front of audiences, you know, you get this unconditional love. And I, I, I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And I squeezed her hand again and I went back on stage. Well, after the show, I'm uh, standing in the reception line where people come and shake your hand and tell you how much they enjoyed the show. And this girl in the wheelchair is being pushed by her mother. And her mom makes eye contact with me. and instantly starts to sob just uncontrollably and she comes up to me grabs my hand thank you so much thank you th i'm like well i'm glad you enjoyed it she's like no 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 you don't understand this is amanda she's 12 years old she was put in this wheelchair in the car accident that killed her father when she was five years old and she has not spoken a word since that day And it was then that I realized that art and music and magic don't just make me special. They can impact other people's lives. And so that's why I was driven, even after surviving COVID and needing to reprioritize things. I, I, I continually come back to there is someone out there, either on the air or on video, or from a live stage, or in one of my books or comics, someone out there needs what I have to offer. And it could change their life. And I don't know when the next Amanda is going to show up. I, I, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know where she is today. But I know for a fact that we as creatives can impact people's lives. Art has power. And so I am a huge advocate and proponent 
of arts education in school. That's my social mission. And so it drives me to be creative and to do creation, but it also drives me to advocate for arts education in public schools. And I speak on that quite a bit. And uh, that's why every time I go to a city, I try to book uh, an appearance at a public school to uh, encourage people. Hey, look, I was bullied too. You know, I was not cool. I was not part of the cool kids when I was a kid. You know, I was picked on mostly because of my weight. But, you know, art and, and music and theater and magic made me special. And so I, I tell that story and then I talk about Amanda and then I talk about how you kids, you have the power to impact other lives. Mm-hmm. You can be a positive impact on somebody's life. You don't know who it is yet, but find your passion, live your passion, and do it for the person who needs what you have to offer. And so that's that's kind of what my my goal is with everything that I do. And and again, coming from Brooklyn, New York, a young black kid that loved the sound of music. <laughs> wasn't very a popular opinion to a lot of people. So I had to keep it close to the chest. But for your mission to be for people to, and I hate using this term of phrase, but speak their truth is through creative endeavors is like prolific. And I, again, like always, Johnny, I just, I'm in awe of it's like every every time every time i hear something you have a new talent or something new you're doing so i just i just I'm like oh, okay what's up well, look 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 <laughs> I, I don't know that i have any tra- talents i work really hard to appear talented that's but, your talent um but you know yeah i am creative and i do creative things and you know i've i've won awards i've won championships i've done all of that but the fact is, everybody has talent. I, I can't do math. I can't, I can't hardly even put oil in my car. There are people who have, you know, those skills and those abilities. And, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it's all relative. Take the compliment, sir. <laughs> Take the compliment. Well, thank you. Put- Put it in the put it in the back of the book jacket or whatever. Um, <laughs> but this has come to my favorite part of the podcast, which I like to call "Shots Fired." It is fifteen to twenty questions. They're quick, easy questions that get very simple at the beginning, get a little bit more thought provoking at the end. And the first thing that comes to your head, just let it fly. So this time we're we're going to. Do a little bit shorter version of Shots Fired, and then we're going to integrate it with uh, one of our good affiliates out there, Poddex. Go to poddex.com, enter code C4C to support the content creators of color. Um, so, Johnny, are you ready for Shots Fired? Yes. All right, Johnny, this is Shots Fired. All right. What's your f- gotcha again. Um, what's your favorite color? Purple. Um, what's your favorite movie? Empire Strikes Back. One place that you visit that you haven't been yet. Wait, say that again. One place you want to visit that you haven't been yet. The Maldives. 
Who's your celebrity crush? Halle Berry. What song would describe your life? Ooh. Owner of a Lonely Heart. What would be the name of your autobiography? That's a hard one. Um, name of my autobiography. Mm-hmm. Oh. Anonymous Confessions of Your Lunatic Friend. Ooh, I like that a lot. If you had to be handcuffed to someone for a month, who would it be? The Rock. Good choice. If, if you had a talk show, who would be your first guest, alive or dead? And what would you ask them? Mmm. Mmm. Um, Harry Houdini, and I would ask him, how is Elvis, and have you seen him lately? <laughs> um, you, I think you would like this question. What's one superpower you would want to have? One superpower? Teleportation. Okay. <clears throat> Last question before we go to the Poddex question. What is your death row meal? Last meal of life. I need an app. I need an entree. I need a dessert. And I need a drink. So, appetizer would be um, fried calamari. Um, may- what you, app what main, main course oh yeah entree main course oh man that's hard uh i want i want carabas lasagna Ooh, good choice sir <laughs> good choice have they use ground years. pepperoni instead of ground beef mm. It's pretty That's amazing. What, what's, the, um, what's the dessert? Uh, carrot cake. Ooh, a man after my own heart. Um, actually, I was looking for some carrot cake yesterday, and they tried to sell me this big, gigantic carrot cake, and I had to think, of, I had to think about it a couple times, Johnny. I had it in my cart. I, had to put, I put it back. I had to think about it a couple times. I had, <laughs> I, had, I had a third of a piece of carrot cake last night from Jay Alexander's the best carrot cake on the planet is at Jay Alexander's bar none. Boom. I'm going to have to uh, disagree with you, but carrot cake cheesecake. It's a little different. Carrot yep. cake cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory? No, 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 no. You did not just say Cheesecake Factory. Ca- yes. Carrot cake cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. Best carrot cake I've ever had in my life. And and what you're drinking on for your last definitely uh, Diet Coke. Diet I'm Coke. A, I'm a teetotaler. Diet Coke. Okay. <laughs> um. So we're gonna go to the pod decks. Um. And this. You know, actually, if I'm on death row and it's my last meal, I might do something I've never done. I have never, I have never drunk a a dr- drop of alcohol. So, Ever. Never. 
Um, so I really <laughs> take that opportunity. Last chance, a shot of Captain Morgan rum because it smells so good. Johnny, I want to let you do that to yourself, okay? <laughs> Look, we're gonna go with some reposado or something. We got, we got to go. I don't else. know. That, that's I'm just, just going by yeah. smell. It smells good. It smells like butter. <laughs> it smells like butter. Cut it like butter. Um, but wow, that's so. Your whole life, you've never not a beer, not a no. a, a wine cooler, nope. not a truly. Never. Ne- never. Um, my mom was an alcoholic. Uh, so, okay. um, I just, I chose never to go through any of that because she had to go to rehab and all, it just, I made a conscious decision never, never to touch it. So you're just going to put that on the table at the end of the podcast. That's okay. We'll have a part two. Uh, <laughs> everybody has to listen to the whole thing to understand why Johnny doesn't drink, but this is from the How Dare You pack of Poddex. If you go to poddex.com, enter offer code C4C to support the content creators of color. Um, you get 10% off first purchase. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm just going to select a card. I need a number between one and five. Three. Okay. You're the third person that, that said three. Three is my favorite number. Have you ever stolen money from your parents? Of course. And what did you buy? Comic books. Really? Yeah. Did you ever let did you ever tell them? No. <laughs> Smart man. So Johnny, it's been as always a pleasure. Um, where can people find you and how can people support you? Super easy. Um, johnpika.com, J-O-H-N-P-Y-K-A. And that has links to all of the various things that I'm involved with. The Back of the Serial Box podcast, my original comic book series, League of Impossibilists, my novel series, The Tales of the Decoverse, uh, all of my live shows, stuff. All of it's there, and you can link out and follow the, the path wherever you want. Any upcoming events or any cons you're going to anytime soon? Yes. Um, let me bring up the calendar so I can tell you uh, what is what here. Um, so the next event, I am going to be at Huntsville Comic Con, March. Okay. Fourth through and fifth in Huntsville, uh, Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> and then um, after that, Mid South Con in Memphis, where I will actually be performing um, my Super Saturday Magic Matinee show uh, and doing a bunch of panels and workshops. And we will be broadcasting Back of the Cereal Box live from both Huntsville Comic Con and Mid South Con. So those are the first two immediate things that you can see me at, but uh, I post all of that stuff on Instagram. And so, you know, follow me from the website, johnpica.com and connect with all of that stuff. And you can follow all his uh, endeavors on um, Back to Zero Box on Instagram and 
I believe Twitter and Facebook. Uh, one of the most interactive Facebook groups I'm in is the Back of the Serial Box Facebook group. If you guys have not joined it, join it immediately for all your geek news immediately. Um, so again, Johnny, the last thing we do here on the podcast is say the catchphrase, which is love, peace, and chicken grease. So whenever you get a chance, I, the, I, this, I'm giving you three options. You could do it in a character. You can say it in a character. You can sing it, or you just go normal. How about I do all three, and you pick your favorite one? Ooh. <clears throat> you ready? Always. <laughs> oh, yeah. You are listening to Drew versus the world. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Dig it! <laughs> um... This is the podcast, Drew versus the world, love, peace, and grease. No, this is the podcast, Drew versus the world, love, peace, and chicken grease. And, hey there, friends and foes, this is John Pika on the Drew versus the world podcast, love, peace, and chicken grease. I can't, that's all I wanted and more. All I wanted and more. <laughs> and guys, thank you so much. If you want to support the show, go to Drew vs. World Podcast on Instagram. But of course, I'll go to DrewVersusWorld.com. Thank you again, Johnny, for uh, being part of this episode. It was much needed. I'm a super huge fan. I think I, I over the last couple of months, I've I've stalked you via social media and, you know, we're collaborating, doing things together. And it's just been an honor to be in your presence. So thank you so much. Likewise, my friend. So thanks you again, Drew Crew. And this has been another episode of Drew versus the world. Mm-hmm.